0: of our three-week series entitled Ask, Seek, and Knock. Uh, It's taken from Luke 11. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. I know it because they printed it in red. Mm. What? It's true, right? Yeah. And I tell you, Luke 11, verse 9, I tell you, ask... Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So um, I'm just going to jump right out of the notes here because um, something's going on in the air, in the spirit. Uh, I got to ask the question because we had a testimony. Uh, anyone dealing with cancer in this room? Anyone dealing with cancer? Just stand up. Okay. How about fib- fibromyalgia? Anyone dealing with fibro? Oh, look at this. Huh? Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Are you pointing to your wife? So, let's see, Michelle, you're going to come up here. See, here's this kingdom principle. You don't get anything except the Lord wants you to give away what you've got. It's the same thing with water. You know, water can go into a pond if it doesn't have an outlet gets yucky, right? It's the same thing with us. If we don't have an outlet, we start navel-gazing, we get all caught up in our own stuff, and there's no outflow. So, I'm going to ask some students, why don't you go and stand with one of these people who are standing, okay? If you've done healing prayer much well, God, stop, stop doing this with your head, and just get up and go somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) right, Michelle. You're going. You're going to lead in prayer.
1: Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord God, to lift up these diseases, this cancer, Lord God. And the power and with the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, through Jesus Christ, I pray that the cancer will be gone, Lord God. That the cancer won't even be there, Lord God. That you are the mighty Lord that can heal any situation, Lord God. So we just ask you, Lord, for healing in every person that is standing, Lord God. And that we command cancer to be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus.
0: Excuse
1: me. Also, Lord, we pray for anyone that has fibromyalgia, Lord God, that that pain will be totally gone in your holy name. From the top of our heads, their heads, Lord God, to the tips of their toes, whatever pain they may feel, Lord God, that is, we rebuke it and we call it out of them in the name of Jesus.
0: Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, you guys take just a minute and minister to those individuals personally right there. We'll just wait on you clip from uh, Phil Strout, kind of similar to what we saw last week, we could uh, go ahead and show that. And we've talked about that, we've talked about uh, this ask, seek, and knock as being imperatives for evangelism, a means of extravagant giving modeled by God himself in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. Now, here's the thing. We think of salvation as an event. So we had four people stand up and they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and that was a, a salvation experience. And 20 years from now someone's going to say, "Oh, when were you saved?" And they're going, "Oh, on Father's Day." You know, at this, and you're going to reiterate that. But that's just the beginning. You see the word salvation is sozo. It's an ongoing living experience. You you have been saved and will be continually saved until you are transformed to look just like Jesus. He's going to save you out of so many things. You, you won't even experience some things that you would have experienced had you not come to Christ today because he's going to kind of pre-save you from getting into them. Right? That's sozo. It's like Getting the antibiotic, you know, what the flu shot. You know, why do you get the flu shot? So you don't get the flu, right? Why do you get salvation experience? So that you don't fall into the ditch, so that you don't fall into the pit, so you don't fall into your own propensities, right? He's coursing through your system now. And out of your life, just like Michelle came up here, Right? She didn't have an evangelistic message. Oh, yes, she did. Yes, she did, right? That's the point. That's evangelism. See, when you ask him, when you seek him, when you open the door to him, and he begins to work through your life, and people begin to notice the change, you know? I I, I can remember so many times people say, Man, what happened to you? You've really changed. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So this is what we've been focusing on for the last couple of weeks. We've talked about asking tough questions of God, of society, and of ourselves, finding answers that will, like the Samaritan woman, intertwine our stories, just like Michelle intertwined her story with Jesus' redemptive story giving us a story, a good news story that will attract others to him. We talked last week about seeking and becoming seekers, looking to see what God will say. We spoke about seeking who rather than seeking what. You know, I, I love uh, working with people who are seeking the gifts of the Spirit. You know, they, they want to see healing activated in their lives. They want to see signs and wonders and miracles, and they start looking for those things when they should really back up and look for the Holy Spirit, Okay, Because when you get the Holy Spirit, you get all of him. You get the gifts with him. It's the same thing with Jesus. We shouldn't just look for the what's, oh, God, I need this and I need that. And I... No, we need him. We need him, because when he comes, he brings all that he is with him, and he sets up shop inside your heart. We spoke about seeking first the kingdom of God, and now this week we're going to look at knocking. Knocking is all about entrance. It's about finding a way in. You ever you don't knock? To exit? Hmm. One of the early values of the Vineyard Movement was this idea that we all have a place in the kingdom. Everybody gets to play. Now, not everybody gets to play everything, which is a good thing. One of the reasons we chose to keep an open concept in our building rather than putting up walls, I mean, that was one of the options we had was to wall off this area and just have a, an entranceway, uh, was to be more receptive to our first-time guests. There is no question about how to get in here, right? You walk in, you know where you can go. It's pretty obvious. It's open. It's, it's welcoming, see? We want the sanctuary to say, there's room in here for you. Come on in. There's a place for you. And I think it's appropriate. If our imperative is evangelism, then it is not us as storytellers who are knocking, and it is not them as hearers that are knocking. Then who's doing the knocking? Revelation 3.20, again in bold red, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who does the knocking is always the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one seeking to save us and to gain entrance into our lives. We never go after him. It is he who draws us to himself. And Jesus is pretty clear about that in John 15, 16. You did not choose me. Listen, some of us already knew some of you were going to get saved this morning before you knew it. Because the Spirit was already moving towards drawing you to himself. And those who are perceptive of the things of the Spirit felt that drawing in the Spirit. God is at work. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, whatever you ask, that's where we started this whole series, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. The Apostle Paul expounds on the idea in the book of Romans in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Who'd he die for? He didn't wait for you to, to come to church and to pray a prayer. He didn't wait for you to get confirmed or baptized or sprinkled or dunked or any of that, right? When you were still a mess, when we were still in our sin, Christ already died for us. He was already active in our lives for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be sozoed, saved, sozoed by his life. Much more now. See what the door that you opened? When he knocked on that door, you have let heaven pour into your life. So how does all this work within the context of evangelism? When we are asking, we utilize our mouths. We speak, we ask, right? When we are seeking, we utilize our eyes and our ears to see and to to hear and to perceive. So what do we utilize when knocking? Would it be our hands? That would seem like a logical answer. But it is more than our hands because, remember, it is Christ who is knocking. So we become the door that Christ is knocking on to gain entrance into the life of the one we are connecting with. And in order to do that, he requires all of us, just like Michelle. Michelle was a doorway today. Christ was knocking on the hearts of four people in this place. They would never have heard this if Michelle didn't come up here and become the door that he knocked on, become the mouthpiece. She heard His spirit speaking her, directing her. So she opened her mouth and spoke good news. And Christ manifest himself to the hearts of others. She became the door that Christ knocked on. It's what he wants to do with your life. He wants to constantly be knocking on the activities, on the words, on the emotions, on the love that he has invested in so others can see it so they can see good news, they can hear good news, they can feel the power of good news on their lives through the expression of his life that you express as becoming the thing that he knocks on. Romans 12.1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, that sounds all very spiritual and very nice, but I'm, I'm going to read it to you from the Message Bible so that you can hear what it sounds like on a more practical level. Okay? This is Romans 12:1 from the Message Version. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Anyone got any of those? You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Listen, just take the life that you're living and say, God, this is what you gave me. Use it. For the sake of others if we're going to be effective doorways through which Christ will connect with the lives of others then we must become image bearers who are conformed to the image of Christ through obedience and humility did you know that the most effective door for a retail business is a glass door thank you Bonnie You know your preaching's good when you get an aha from Bonnie. Uh (laughs) Aha. So why? Because you can see what's on the other side from outside because of transparency. And so it boils down to what John C. Maxwell, a Christian leadership mentor, says about the impact of our lives on others. He says this, our talk talks, and our walks talk, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. You want that again? Our talk talks, right? And you've all heard religious people, right? And tell you how you ought to be living your life, right? Okay, so our talk talks and our walk talks, but our walk talks louder than our talk talks. I only know a, f- a few things more disturbing than being preached at by someone who is not living what they are preaching. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's saying, right? Does your walk match your talk? Because mm. basically, you're all walking around with glass doors, whether you know it or not. Mm. Biblically, doors are very significant, especially doors that lead into the presence of the Lord. Uh, I love this, this scripture, this whole story, Hezekiah. I don't know if any of you were here when uh, Lindsay uh, sh- shared from the pulpit that week on Hezekiah. Just, just an awesome, awesome storyline. This is Second 2 Chronicles 29.1. It says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. He became king of Judah. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. What condition are your doors in? How does the thought of being transparent feel to you? Could you say to someone today, if you live the way I'm living my life right now, your life will improve? Can you use your past lived life as an example of the goodness and effectiveness of a Christ centered life. And you don't even have to get all super spiritual to do it. If you are transparent, you can be real because the inside and the outside will look the same. So here's a little uh, I'm the door Christ is knocking on to impact the life of another story. I'll share with you. A few years ago, Martha and I were going up to Vermont on a fairly regular basis. Um, My brother-in-law, Jimmy, was dealing with cancer of the liver. And he seemed to be doing good. He goes back for a minor surgery only to discover that the cancer had wrapped itself around a valve in his liver and was now inoperable. Two years to live. Pow. So we pull into the drive, and Jimmy and my sister Debbie and their daughter Jamie come out and greet us and give us the tour of their, their home and their property way up in Vermont. Very nice place. And uh, we go into the house, and Jimmy has already separated himself from us. Just kind of disappeared. Disappeared. That's what he always does, my sister said. He does it to us all the time. He leaves us out and we desperately need to be part of what's left of his life. But he won't let us in. He's sitting out on the front porch alone, so I go out and I sit with him and he begins to tell me his story well, at least his cancer story over the last few years. There are moments of determination, moments of sadness, moments of confusion, of being under this thing of feeling like he's winning the battle and moments when anger showed through in his words and emotions, and I sat and I listened for over an hour. Not that I didn't try to talk, I just couldn't because he desperately needed to. then at a momentary pause I asked him if I had ever told him my liver story he said no so I did I told him about Dick Ray the regional uh, overseer for vineyard first time we met he came and we were adopting into the vineyard movement and we spent about four hours him and his wife and they saw the church and the ministries we were doing and we talked about the process, and then as he was going to leave, he said, oh, could we pray for you before we go? I said, sure. So he prayed, him and his wife prayed for me for about 10 minutes, very earnest prayer, and then he kind of stops, he steps back, and he said, listen, I I feel like the Lord is showing me that you're taking a, um, kind of like if you were a boxer, you know, an illegal punch to the Kidney or the liver. He said, I don't know if it's a kidney or a liver, but I feel like the enemy has got his hand in, and you're going to get a diagnosis. Um, something's breaking down. Again, I don't know if it's kidney or liver, but uh, going to run for about two years, and the Lord is in this. Don't worry about it, you know, blah, blah. blah. So, what he didn't know is I had applied for some insurance investments, and they declined because of um, a whole bunch of medical language that I couldn't understand, so I sent it down to my doctor and asked him to uh, get back to me and tell me what this paper says that they declined my insurance policy. So I go home, and uh, just barely got home, and my doctor calls. He says, you got to get here now. I said, what's up? He said... Um, You've got hepatitis in your liver, and the numbers are off the chart. He said, I don't don't think you're going to make a year. I said, it's all right, Dick. He said, I already got a prophecy. It's going to last about two years, and I got nothing to worry about. He said, no, no, you don't understand these numbers. I said, I don't need to understand the numbers. I heard the word of the Lord. No problem." By the way, the hepatitis is all gone. Yeah, so, yes. Um, So I went on to state that in all of that, Jesus was not looking to bring about my healing. He had promised that at the start. That was not the issue. What he really wanted to do was to change me on the inside, not in my liver, but in my heart to conform me more into the image of Christ. You see, sometimes healing changes us, but other times changing heals us. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) I I got it bold and underlined. (laughs) It impacted me when I thought it. (laughs) It's good. I don't know why I do that, because I throw these away. (laughs) So I discovered there are three responses to my condition that I was having that Jesus wanted to deal with. I wanted to withdraw when I found out that news. I really did, I wanted to withdraw, retreat from everyone and to deal with this on my own. I wanted to do what Jimmy was doing to his wife, to his daughters, to his family. But we were created in God's image. And God exists in a state of continual community and fellowship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Second, I went through this thing about my body betraying me. That was a type of self-hatred. Anyone deal with self-hatred? The reality is that my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And in order to love God and love my neighbor, I must be able to love me no matter what condition I find myself in. You see, Jesus said the greatest commandment, love your God, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second to that is love your neighbor as what? As yourself, right? So you can't love your neighbor. If you can't love your neighbor, you can't love God until you love you. And he doesn't put any parameters when you find out you have cancer or when you find out your liver's shutting down or when when you're losing your legs or whatever the condition is, you can't say, well, I can't love me anymore and say I love God at the same time. And third was this propensity to keep people at arm's length, to not let them into what was going on inside of me the fears and the worries, the doubts and the ponderings of my own mortality. You see, I drew a shade over the transparency of my glass door. I didn't want people to see me broken, hurting, wondering, doubting. And it's an odd thing, the closer that people are relationally, the harder it is to let them in. Now By this time, Jimmy was sobbing. So I asked him, what is God after, Jim? What does he want to change in you? He said, I don't know. I do all the same things. I shut people out. But I don't know what he wants. So I asked him, what was the first thing that came to your mind when the doctor told you you had two years to live? I thought, those bastards... They robbed me of my dream. Now, I'm thinking he's thinking, talking about the doctors. But it wasn't. It was his aunt's. See, Jimmy and my sister Debbie lived in a massive uh, home in Norfolk, Massachusetts. That was his inheritance through his father. And when his father died, they had all these plans they were going to, move into this home and all that, you know, he could put his shop in there and all this stuff. And his father's two sisters took it into court and tied it up for 15 years so that he could never realize his dreams. And two weeks after he got his death sentence from the doctors, he won the battle for the house but he didn't have the time left to realize his dream. So he was full of unforgiveness, full of bitterness and anger. I asked him, how does that make you feel, Jimmy? They robbed you of that dream. He told me about the hatred that he had for them. I invited Jesus to come into that moment in his life where he labeled them as those bastards. And he walked through the door into his bitterness and spoke forgiveness to him. Broke the strength of that. It was evident that something was happening, but the most important thing was that Jim had been changed and the whole atmosphere of his home changed with him. Not just for Jim, but for his wife and daughters also, because Jim let them through the same door that he had opened to Jesus. So not only does Jesus knock on the door, he also is the door because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and when the door is open, the kingdom of God floods in, and heaven and earth connect once again. We saw it as a type and a shadow in the Old Testament account I read a few minutes ago, but I want to read just before that, because I want you to understand where Hezekiah came out from. This is 2 Chronicles 28, and it records that the reign of King Ahaz in Jerusalem, who was Hezekiah's father, and says this of him He did evil in the sight of the Lord, he pillaged the temple, he set up idols in Judah, and shut down the worship of Yahweh, and he closed the doors of the temple. So that no one Could go there to worship. But in chapter 29, his son Hezekiah, who took the throne when Ahaz died, did this. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the first year of his reign, in the first month of his reign, I mean, that's pretty immediate, he opened the doors. Of the house ask seek and knock on the door so that the king of glory can enter in today again Jesus is knocking Jesus is knocking and if we put this in perspective of the idea of salvation of sozo Whether you received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior when you were six or seven years old, or if you did it a month ago or a year ago or 20 years ago or 42 years ago, or you haven't done it yet, or if you did it a half an hour ago, it doesn't matter because he can still come in and continue to save you. Would you stand with me? I'm just going to ask you to take a moment. See, I saw a lot of hands do this when I asked about self-hatred. So there's something you can ask him about. There's something you can seek him for. There's an area of your life that you can open the door and say to him, would you come in? Would you come in and love me in my hatred of myself and to him who knocks it will be opened so Holy Spirit we come to ask we come to seek we come to knock today for each of us it's a different reason maybe we don't even know what we should ask for or what we should seek for, but you do. You look at the deep things of the heart and the spirit and the soul, and you are faithful and true and good. We've heard testimonies today of what your loving kindness does to our physical bodies, what your goodness does to our souls in lifting us up out of depression and despair and self-loathing. And there's so much more. Would you come today, oh God, as each one in their heart of hearts just ask of you whatever it is that's going on inside, as they seek you and find you, would you enter in, O oh God, through the door that they open to you and begin to heal, begin to restore, begin to bring comfort and love to our hearts today. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us more about Jesus. Conform us a little bit more from glory to glory to glory into the image of the one we seek. That we might come before the Father and ask of him all things through the wonderful name of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.